0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of METCAST, the podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. To keep you up to date throughout this packed summer of big sporting events, we're speaking to experts from our new Institute of Sport. In this episode, Dr Ben Marshall, lecturer in Sport and Exercise Psychology and a huge cycling fan, gives us his take on the ongoing Tour de France. Today's stage marks the epic climb of Alp Duez, a gruelling mountain stage that tests the physical and mental endurance of the riders. Ben speaks to us about the psychology of these huge climbs, the mental preparation that riders and teams put into the tour, and what he was particularly looking forward to about this year's
1: event. There's a few things I'm really excited about this year because it, it starts in Denmark for the very first time. So that's quite cool. Uh, it's never been to Denmark, so that's quite a, a nice place to start. There's a lot of cobbled sections, which okay. I, some riders really hate, some riders really love. So that could be a, a real thing that sort of throws a, a few things into the mix, but adds a bit of a safety element to it as well, like a danger element, which um, I think could be, I think we'll see some controversy with that for sure. And um, what I'm particularly looking forward to is when the, the tour visits the Alps this year, because they'll be going up Alpe d'Huez, which is a iconic, famous climb in cycling. It's, it's an absolute icon. And they'll be doing that, but also twice, they'll be going over the, the Col de Galibier, which is uh, the highest point on the, usually the highest Point on the tour, it's like 2,600 meters, 2,640 something like that. So it's incredibly high up, incredibly high altitude. And what you see on that kind of climb is what I really like to see is it then sort of whittles down to just the the GC contenders. But all the other guys, they're all back further on the mountain, just trying to get over the top. And it's the you have a handful who are going for it and trying to, to win it all. And then you get this very nice from a psychological perspective it's fascinating because you get this real almost like a poker face kind of <laughs> uh, moment happening where the riders are trying to do a this kind of this juxtaposition of riders trying to make themselves look like they're not suffering yeah. trying to make it look like oh, i'm absolutely fine this is just another this is a sunday ride this is a sunday spin for me so if you want to attack go for it i can easily just wind you back in internally they might be absolutely dying But it's this external, like what we call impression management, that trying to make everyone else how you want to be perceived by others, really. But then also there's this, the flip side of that is you could also fake that you are suffering, that you are having a really hard time. We've actually got loads of extra energy in the tank. (laughs) So then your rivals are like, okay, right, he's really suffering. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for this attack. You easily catch him again. And then they have just wasted their energy on a pointless attack. And so it becomes this high altitude, relatively high speed, incredibly high effort chess match and every year is where it's the tour is pretty much won and lost in those sorts of moments and it's yeah it's fascinating when you see attack after attack until eventually the elastic snaps and one person and one person sort of takes it that's uh that's pretty much what it'll come down to so that's what i'm looking forward to the most
0: it's kind of applying some of the you know sports psychology to events like the tour de france or any any kind of multi-stage event like that how much of it do you think is the sheer physical preparation of doing obviously that amount of high intensity sports over weeks, but also the psychological aspect? How important is it for cyclists on the Tour de France to get that aspect right before they undertake it? Do you think people maybe underestimate how much of it is a psychological challenge as much as a sort of athletic, purely athletic one?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what we tend to see with elite sport is that these guys are all these guys and girls. All these these elite athletes of any kind—they're all very, very closely matched physiologically. Uh, more often than not, these guys are—they're in, the, in the top one percent of people who are competing in their sport, right? And so, what tends to then happen when in an elite event is that these differences that we do see start to happen—people dropping back, people winning, people doing very well—often come down to come down to psychological factors, come down to some kind of mental preparation or or lack of mental preparation or lack of being able to cope with setbacks and, and things like that. Those elements are, yeah, very much in place at the at the highest possible level. I think if you put all of the, the grand tour cyclists, if we got them all into the lab and got them doing their VA2 max tests and all these physiological tests that we could do, I don't think we'd we'd see a pretty homogeneous group. I don't think we'd see massive differences from one end to the other. But then when it comes to the end of the three weeks, we do see really big differences. And I think there's a, that's also by the time these, they've even got to competing at Grand Tour level as well. That is a reason why it's not just purely about the physical engine. I think there's definitely a, a, mental, a mental aspect that even gets them, even if they've got the right physiological components, that even gets them, that gets them to that stage to be able to compete.
0: And, and if you take those sort of notorious climbs as an example. So obviously on the Tour de France, you know, for the sort of general classification riders, those are often sort of make or break. And I'm guessing the pressure that comes along with that is pretty intense. How does an athlete preparing for one of those climbs go about it from a psychological perspective? You know, obviously you have to be incredibly fit and well trained to do that. But from a psychological perspective, what are some of the things that you have to sort of control to, to do that well?
1: On the day, I suppose one of the main key things is about self-regulating those that anxiety. So perhaps some kind of pre-race anxiety is going to be is going to be an issue. The more anxious you become, or at least how you interpret those signs of, uh, of physiological arousal that we associate with anxiety, if you interpret that as being anxious, then that can then lead to be your performance being impaired. What we try to do with athletes often is try to get them to think about to reappraise those feelings of, of a physiological arousal. So it's things like that increased heart rate, that sweaty palms, that sort of thing. The things that we often correlate with being nervous are also the same things we correlate with being excited and with being prepared and ready to compete. So it's kind of a case of flipping the script over from, all oh, right, I've got butterflies in my stomach, so therefore I'm feeling really nervous, this is a big deal, to being like, I've got butterflies in my stomach, it's time to go, let's do it, it's time to smash this climb out. This is my opportunity to put a really big dent in the GC, it's my opportunity to uh, to make up loads of time, it's my opportunity to really put a marker down against my rivals. It's kind of this way of yeah, reinterpreting it, to try and do your best and, and get it from that way there's also going to be this crucial element of pain regulation as well pain management on a big client that is absolutely key and the way, that, the way that cyclists go about that would vary a lot from individual to individual but there's lots of things like distraction uh, trying to distract yourself away from what you're you're currently doing trying to focus on other things moving your focus of attention away from yourself but towards something that's external instead and a, a strategy that is often used as well is concept of self-talk, which all athletes will engage in almost almost universally. And again, it's about using this concept of self-talk, talking to yourself, talking yourself through the event, through what's happening. Like when there's one of those climbs is particularly long, like you could be on there for 20, 25, 40 minutes, uh, going to be a particularly steep gradient for a long time, surrounded by your competitors. So your ability to be able to keep yourself going to be able to motivate yourself and be able to regulate your own perceptions of pain uh, is absolutely crucial.
0: And I guess that's quite unique in a way. You know, if, if I'm a 100 metre sprinter, the kind of the event that I'm trying to do is over in 10 seconds. But if I'm doing one of these climbs and it's taking half an hour, how much of a different skill set is that to to maintain that sort of discipline and resilience over actually what's quite a long time, particularly if you're doing something which is actually causing a lot of pain?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing as well is, is that these events kind of unfold over weeks as well. So the schedule for the Tour de France is, is available way in advance. It's available um, sort of now, obviously, but also several months out. So riders and teams will be able to identify which particular stages they're going to target, which particular ones they know will be good opportunities to to attack on and try and put sort of gaps into the into the field. But and also that picture changes with each every every single day as well. So a crash earlier in the week or something like that can then drastically affect how you then plan for the next the next stage, the next day. So you've got kind of these long term plans and goals, these strategies that teams will work towards that then can be completely disrupted. (laughs) <laughs> within the first week if somebody gets injured if somebody has a crash and has to drop out or like last year we saw in the last year or the year before in the Giro d'Italia where the entire field was just being decimated by COVID yeah. and so left and right teams were just dropping out and individuals were dropping out and eventually we saw Theo Gagan Hart win the whole thing and at the start of the tour he would have had absolutely that would not have been his plan <laughs> even close to it and so, yeah, okay, the point I'm trying to make is that trying the preparation is is really key, but preparation is also really dynamic in the tour. So then, when it comes down to actually then competing, you could be in a a really different place to where you thought you might be in terms of when you sort of start preparing for it months ago. You've got these sort of two levels of of resilience, I suppose. This kind of like being able to deal with setbacks in the moment and being able to deal with like people with uh, deal with people who are going the attack or deal with your teammates dropping off or something like that but then also this longer term sort of form of resilience as well, we're able to be adaptable and not be sort of over-affected by, by unexpected changes.
0: And I guess as, a, as an individual respondent, to setbacks i was I was actually looking at kind of an interview with last year's overall winner and he was saying like he was looking at the the route for this year and he was I think he actually said it scared him that the first week scared him and like there's a 12 kilometer bridge finish in Denmark on the North Sea there's a cobbled stage and he, he was saying you know you can't win the tour in the first week but you can lose it and I yeah. wonder like how significant is that for riders knowing that you can have a great few days but then just one bad day could really make a big difference in kind of keeping that consistency going over such a yeah. long period
1: yeah absolutely right yeah consistency is is a huge thing in a in grand tour riding that like they get there's only it's a three-week event they get two rest days and on those rest days they still ride as well so that they're just not riding they're riding way harder than you or i would ever ride but they're yeah they're still kind of on the bike they don't have an actual rest which is extraordinary but yeah you're absolutely right like all this preparation can kind of be completely decimated in in the first week in on the and a sprint stage or something like that the the ending of those is often completely chaotic and if you time the tour gets into those high mountains that's then when we start to see the separation in the in the general classification but if anyone's had a fall if anyone's had a an injury of any kind or if, they, if their team has been a uh, sort of lost a couple of key domestiques or something like that as a result of crashes or elsewhere then that again affects all your team preparation the more team members you have alongside you on a climb the better that is it kind of saves your energy it gives you more motivation it helps it helps you up those climbs
0: i been mean, quite interested in that the kind of- the team aspect and the domestiques and 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 stuff. For people who maybe don't follow you know cycling as as closely, maybe a bit a little confused by that, but also from a psychological perspective, I, I was from that same interview that the last year when I was saying how um he was you gonna need a strong team to be alongside him. You know, the riders are in teams, but they're also racing as individuals as well. Mm. Could you maybe explain a little bit about how those teams work, but also from a psychological perspective, if you're not The person who is likely to to win be in contention to win but you still have a really important role how those riders prepare and is there a difference there in knowing that your role really is more of a broader one
1: yeah it's a really good point so different teams for the Tour de France and for any big sort multi-stage race will have different objectives in mind so some of them will have riders like a Tajay Pogacar who won who's won the last two Tour de France he will be They'll obviously be gunning for the whole thing. They're going for the general classification, and there'll be other teams as well, like that, like Team Ineos, are almost always in the in there as well, although they've had injuries recently with Bernal. Bose Thomas is getting ready to do that. And there's other teams though that will target individual stages. They're just kind of going out to to win a stage. They're not expecting to be anywhere in the mix at, when it comes into Paris at the end of three weeks. They're just trying to go up a bit of glory on individual days. And um, there's other teams that are going for that kind of put all of their all their chips on a sprinter. So they're aiming to try and win the sprint finishes and things like that. So every team has different has different objectives in general. And then that means the the makeup of the team is also a bit different. But then within that you kind of have, yeah, like you sort of said, you have these the guys who are going for the the general classification, you have the guys who are these big sprinters. And then everyone else around them tends to be the support network, these sort of the domestiques who are, who are out there essentially just to protect and support this big name rider in a trying tran- to achieve whatever their objective is. So that can mean things like going back to the car to get food, to get water, to ferry it back up again. And, but it also means, quite, you know, for a sprinter, it means um, it could mean being part of a five man, six man train of people where the sprinter is sitting on the back in the most aerodynamic sort of sheltered position possible and all these five guys in front of him go as hard as they possibly can blow themselves up to release the sprinter at the very last moment to go and win the stage sprinter gets all the glory sprinter gets the gets to wear the green jersey gets to wear this you know hugely prestigious sort of jersey historic jersey and those other guys don't get any of the same glory they don't get any of the same headlines in the newspapers or anything like that
0: it must be very important for the success of even the individual riders. That obviously not only did they fulfil the the strategy on the day, but I guess you must need a pretty good sort of team spirit to make sure that everyone is really, like you say, if your if your sort of individual glories are going to be there, you've got to be really committed and dedicated yeah. to, to winning it essentially for your for your teammate. And I guess that's slightly different to a, a football match or a cricket match, where ultimately you're all winning together. It is a yeah, bit different, isn't it?
1: I mean, they, they all kind of do win together. They share the winnings of the um, the car, share the winnings of the of the events and things like that. And also, the you purely mercenary sense, you get rewarded with a better contract and a new contract if you're successful as part of that team. But yeah, there's certainly very much a, a personality element that's that's a a huge uh part of it i would i should think for instance a team like a team like ineos used to be team sky and they're now team ineos and they've got they've got a lot of quite a large budget behind them and they're able to afford large contracts for therefore better riders and one of their sort of most key integral riders is a, a polish rider called michael uh who's a former world champion he's a former road race world champion but he operates in a like a super domestique role so he's there on the climbs but now with thomas with chris uh, chris room in the past he's there on the flat stages as well he's just there all the time working for the team but he is good enough to be a leader on most other teams so there's definitely like a a personality aspect there's something about him that clearly is very selfless very benevolent really i suppose be able to work for his teammates and kind of be a work for this larger goal rather than just his own personal glory and to do it for so long as he as he has done as well yeah. but then also the teams do also put a lot of effort in, into developing this as well developing this kind of um group cohesion this this really cohesive aspect of of working together as a as a unit they go on training camps winter camps things like that and it's not just about being out on the bike improving their their fitness and physiological capability. But there's also definitely a getting to know your teammates, getting to bond with each other, trying, putting people in the right rooms when they go and stay away with each other in hotels. That's quite a closely monitored thing.
0: Well, you mentioned it earlier where, you know, on one of these climbs, you're in the middle of a pack of your competitors and, you know, incredibly physically close as much as anything else. And not only that, you know, you see it on the Tour de France a lot where, the crowds are incredibly close in and vocal and it's quite intense a lot of the time Mm. now i know obviously that's quite common in a lot of sport but what's the kind of mindset that that a cyclist has to get into to try and blank all that out or are they blanking that out or are they kind of feeding off it the kind of people around them and stuff or is it a case of got to quiet that down and, and kind of in my own head as much as possible
1: i I think the 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 slightly cop-out answer is that it's likely to be a mix of both i think across the across the peloton i think you'll see personality plays a huge part in individual differences i think some cyclists will absolutely thrive off it they'll take that on board it will give them this uh, this boost or whatever it is this sort of a little bit of extra impetus and motivation to be able to perform at their highest and others i think would prefer to be doing it on their own in a closed off environment with nobody on the roads yeah i think there's a big difference i think it also potentially comes down to your nationality as well so i think the the crowd can be very uh <laughs> can be very different depending on who you are yeah. and depending on which team you're cycling for I think like in the past i think chris Froome has had all sorts of um all sorts of things said to him and, and thrown at him and yeah. all kinds of stuff that he's not been particularly pleasing for him whereas someone like thibaut pinot who's french and um Romain bardet and julian alaphilippe they tend to probably get slightly more facilitated help (laughs) from the crowd
0: (laughs) thank you for listening to the latest episode of metcast the podcast of manchester metropolitan university your feedback is always welcome as are much needed review ratings on itunes so if you have a moment please head there to let us know what you think you can also subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform that's all for now though until next time goodbye